down to earth on News Talk with Amundi, an asset manager investing in tomorrow, today, to shape a better world for all. Each week here on Down to Earth, we dig into someone's green life, finding out how they integrate environmental issues into their everyday lives. Today, the government's Minister of State for Land Use and Biodiversity, Pippa Hackett, joins us on Down to Earth. Welcome, Minister Hackett. Thank you, Cara. It's great to be here. Well, it's so opportune to talk to you for this episode of Down to Earth as we've been discussing the future of food in Ireland and you have a lifetime of experience in this topic. I think that listeners will be really interested to know you actually have a PhD relevant to your ministry. So tell us more about what you studied before you got into politics. Um, Well, I suppose my primary degree was in agriculture. I I didn't grow up on a farm. Um, I grew up in County Mayo, but very much surrounded by farms and really, you know, liked the outdoor life, nature, um, the environment. We used to walk, I remember, with my parents and my brother across fields that weren't ours, but, you know, see lots of things. You know, back in the day, you could see things like newts and lots of bog cotton. It's quite a, a peaty area I grew up in. Um, you know, just lots and lots of things. And actually, you know, when I, when I would go back after, you know, years and years later, a lot of those things weren't there anymore. So I suppose I was very much in tune with what was happening in my environment, you know, from my youth. But yeah, my primary degree then was, was agriculture. I went on to do a, a postgraduate in equine science in UCD. And I ended up doing a PhD in UL, actually in equine biomechanics I suppose it was I was always quite passionate about horses um, but my I suppose the PhD look I think studying and research and having a scientific background will help anyone um, in their future and it certainly helps me in my um, in my role at the moment. You and your husband own a beef farmer in County Offaly that used to be a conventionally farm but you've switched to a fully organic system which which was quite a leap I would imagine so what drove that decision? Um, yeah, we converted to organic farming about seven or eight years ago. Um, I think we just, um, I think it's for start, it's a privilege to, to own land and to be able to manage it. And um, we were very much, I suppose, in tune with, um, you know, what, what, how our farm fitted in with the environment. Um, and there was a philosophical aspect, I suppose, in me that I thought it was a much better way to farm. We had a young family. The idea of bringing them up on an organic farm was nice. And um, yeah, we made the, the switch. We made a few adjustments before we did. We changed our breed of cattle and we changed the breed of sheep we had. You know, that would be slightly more in fitting with um, how they would be produced on an organic farm. But listen, it's the best decision we ever made on our farm. We were, you know, we couldn't recommend it highly enough. Um, and I think it just makes us better better farmers as well you know we think a little bit more about what we're doing and how we interact with nature and we really have to use nature to to help us farm and perhaps in a way that you don't have to as a conventional farmer. What were the kind of benefits to your life that that would give you such an endorsement of organic farming? Um, well I suppose directly uh, we felt it was a little bit more relaxed you weren't so tied in with the time frames of farming you know regularly if you're putting out fertilizer you have certain windows to do that you know we weren't tied in like that um also look i suppose financially it, it has benefited us um we you know our input costs are, are significantly reduced because you aren't putting out the fertilizer you're not using the pesticides and we actually buy in less feed now because we the breeds we chose um, can can finish off off grass, which is fantastic. Um, and we get a premium price for our products, so we get a you know maybe a fifteen or twenty percent um, better price for our beef and um, a little bit more for our lamb. So uh, between the the lifestyle piece and and the finances, um, it was really a win win. 
I think this concept that that Irish cattle are fed entirely off grass is, is is kind of a myth that you were mentioning there that livestock tend to be finished on grain and of course some of that grain is coming from places like the Amazon and involved in deforestation so what was involved in actually getting to the point where your cattle were finished off entirely off grass um, well, look, we, 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 we calve our, our cattle in, in April, um, so, you know, they, um, so that they're out, if you like, they're calved, they go out, they're out all, all pretty much their whole lives, um, and we, we would finish them, say, two years the following, maybe between June and September, so they're maybe 26, 27 months old. Um, just the breed was a big thing for us. We, we ended up moving towards a more, um, it was actually a composite breed uh, we found called Stabilizer, but it was really a composite of very native breeds of cattle. Um, so they don't rely so much on, um, if you like, external inputs. They, they are more adapted to, to surviving off, off just grass essentially so that was that was the big decision in our decision and that and that was the real saving for us because farmers can spend thousands and thousands of euros on imported or even domestically grown grain um, and we found we could pretty much do it without so it was a surprise to us it was certainly a surprise to my husband who was a bit dubious about it but it worked and I can only speak from my our own experience with that, but certainly I think those the type of breed people will choose will will have an effect on that. So I think it's um, really important to to consider those things if you're ch- thinking of changing your farming system. We were talking earlier to Dr. Ollie Moore about the low uptake of organic farming in Ireland, which is only about two uh, percent, I think, of all farms in Ireland. So what are your plans to improve this now that you're in government? Um, well, yes, this, um, clearly I'm passionate about organic farming and um, it, was, um, it was great to secure uh, a rather sizable increase in, in funding for, to support the organic farming scheme. So we will be reopening the organic farming scheme. This is the scheme that, you know, it's, it supports and um, enables farmers to convert because there's a two-year process to convert to organic farming, you know, to sort of rid your, rid your farm and the lands of, of, uh, of the ills, if you want to say, of, of, of um, regular farming and um, our, the government and, and my department want to support farmers to do that. So the scheme will open on the 1st of March. Um, it's open to all farmers. Um, we were hoping to get in maybe between maybe four and 500 new entrants, which would be a sizable chunk of, um, you know, in terms of, of, of new organic farmers. Um, in the event that it's oversubscribed, we will, we will prioritise based on, on the type of farms people have so you know if that is the case we will prioritize for for tillage for dairy and for horticulture but look I'm encouraging everyone to apply um, and if it is oversubscribed it gives me a little bit of uh, um, momentum to go back uh, in October and look for more money for organic farming but yes as you say the the levels in Ireland are pretty low we're only about two percent the EU average is 7.5 or 8 percent at the moment but we did get commitment in the program for government to aim to increase our our land area under organic to that EU average within the lifetime of the government. So that's a fairly significant increase. And I hope we, I really look forward to being able to achieve that. So we have about 2,000 organic farms in the country right now out of a total of about 138,000 farms in Ireland. And you're now saying there's funding for another five or 600 farmers to go organic. I mean, that's a substantial increase, but it's not nearly in line with the EU's farm to fork target of having 25% of, of the area in Europe farmed organically in the next 10 years. So how do you think Ireland makes that kind of transformation? 
Well, I think I suppose the the, the transformation you, you you cannot just you know plummet your country into twenty five percent of organics in a, in a short few years. But listen, I think if we we start on this and we if we can absolutely um, get more farmers interested in it and indeed the consumer interested in it, and there is a very much a growing market for for organic food um, both in Ireland and and across Europe, you know, and that's really where we're, you know, we really want to, you know, I suppose, see our own citizens eating more, more organic and indeed locally produced food. Um, but I think we just have to start on that. And look, it is a big jump. Look, if you're Austria, and you've got 25 or 22% of your land is organic. It's not such a big jump to get to 25. But for us, um, we are, you know, at low, at the very bottom, really, of the EU league table for, for organics. It, it's a huge jump. But listen, we have to make it step by step and I think if we could increase the area over the next few years to you know seven or eight percent that would be a great start you know it would really set us on that road. You're listening to Down to Earth on News Talk. My guest is Minister of State Pippa Hackett. Pippa when it comes to fruit and vegetables we're importing a huge quantity of vegetables that were once considered our national vegetables things like potatoes and cabbage and carrots and onions and apples. That puts us at risk regarding our food supply in a changing climate to be so dependent on other countries. So what's being done to help support more production of fruits and vegetables in Ireland? Um, yeah, no, it's a huge point, and it is it is frustrating for many people to hear those figures and the amount we import um, of, as you say, very traditional things that we can grow here really well. Um, again, within my own remit, I'm responsible for the horticulture sector, and we did um, increase the budget there for the commercial horticulture sector in in in, in this year's budget for um, you know to support them to you know buy the right sort of equipment or whatever capital expenses they need to make on their 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 farms to to enable them to produce more or to produce it in a more efficient way so i mean that will be taken up that would be that was an increase of three million to that fund from six million to nine million um that's a good start um certainly you know i'd like to see more of that i think there's a connection also between um people uh, local consumers and connecting with local growers and indeed local farmers and I suppose that local food piece is something that's quite important to me also and something I'd like to see um, more supports for. This week we heard that the horticulture sector is very dependent on peat as a growth medium and obviously we're trying to end peat extraction for climate region reasons so vegetable growers might actually end up importing peat from other countries. How do you see this situation playing out in a way that doesn't cause us to essentially export our environmental problems? Yeah, no, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a difficult, um, it's a difficult piece and it, it is something that we need to find a solution for. I mean, you're right, peat extraction must must cease, but we absolutely have to support our horticulture sector. So um, I'm delighted actually just this week that my colleague, Minister Malcolm Noonan, has appointed a chair to a working group in his department, um, which will look at the future of, of peat for the horticulture sector. Uh, peat is interesting. I mean, the horticulture sector is within my remit. However, peat extraction, um, is within the remits of my colleagues, Minister Malcolm Moon and, and Minister Eamon Ryan. So it's a cross-departmental problem, if you want. Um, but certainly, I hope over the next number of weeks that that working group will come together. It's going to have, you know, reps from like the EPA and the National Parks and Wildlife Services. It'll have industry reps on there, um, rep reps from my own department. So we're really hoping that um, that group can work really well, come up with solutions. Look, there are alternatives to, to there are peat-free alternatives. 
um, probably on a smaller scale than what absolutely would be needed for commercial horticulture. But look, there, there are starts in, in that. Um, my own department has supported some research into alternatives. So it's just about seeing where that fits um, and, and getting those alternatives in place. Um, and maybe a different plan to, to maybe peat that already exists, that has already been extracted. Perhaps there's, you know, mechanisms there of diverting it to our own domestic horticulture sector. These things all need to be teased out in the group. But I think, look, I, I, I have every faith in the, in the working group to come up with solutions and hopefully that are agreeable to all and, and fit that, as you say. We do not want to be exporting our uh, environmental problems elsewhere. It's been about two years since Ireland was the second country in the world to declare a climate and biodiversity emergency. And on this show, we've covered some of the things that might address the climate emergency. But biodiversity doesn't seem to be getting nearly the same attention. How do you see us addressing the biodiversity crisis between now and 2030? Uh, I think you're right, Cara, and I, and I know it is, again, it's quite frustrating to many groups that it's always climate, climate, climate. I mean, for me, look, again, um, biodiversity within the department is, is under my remit, and I'm certainly very keen to support it because I think biodiversity is a very tangible thing, especially to farmers, far more tangible than, you know, climate emissions or greenhouse gas emissions. So, you know, you can see, you can see improvements in, in, in you know, habitats. You can say, oh, yes, I saw a certain type of species on my farm last year because I did this. So I think for me, embracing the biodiversity is really crucial to um, us delivering on climate action. I think we get the biodiversity right, we certainly will get the, the reduction in the emissions that we need. So, I mean, look, even my uh, last week, I announced a new, a smallish scheme in terms of the money. It's 1.25 million, but again, it's to engage with farmers. It's for farmers to engage with NGOs, maybe community groups and so forth to bring more biodiversity onto their farms. So, you know, it's, it's an open call. Um, I'm open to all suggestions of how this might work. But again, it's really about appealing to, to farmers, appealing to, to groups to engage. And let's do this together, because ultimately, at the end of the day, if we're going to address the biodiversity crisis in Ireland alone, we are going to need our, our farmers on board. You've gone into government in a surreal and challenging time, to say the least. How do you think the COVID pandemic will change our perception of our environment and our actions? Um, I think, well, I, I really hope it does change people's perceptions. I really hope we see the sort of system changes worldwide that um, um, that are needed, really, when we when we see the connections, close connections between maybe the COVID crisis and indeed other other um, viruses and, and pandemics and our interaction with nature and how we you know damage ecology and ecological processes, and that has an effect, direct effect on human health. That connection absolutely has to be more obvious now than ever. Um, and then indeed the connection between how we how we look after ourselves, where we source our food from, what the type of food we eat, um, and how that food is produced obviously has an effect on the environment and, and the ecologies within um, those processes must, must operate. So um, I think people are certainly more aware of where they get their food. I mean, a, a good example I saw was my local farmer's market last year in Tullamore. Now, it's been there for a number of years. Um, but last year, I think there was an absolute spike in, in interest in it. There was more local consumers going. Look, fair enough, lockdown probably helped with that. But certainly there are plenty of supermarkets in Tullamore also. But, you know, there was more and more people choosing to go to a, a local farmer's market. I just thought it was a real um, something really positive to come out and 
you know, a chink of light of what maybe hopefully lies ahead. Absolutely. My thanks to Minister of State Pippa Hackett for giving us a taste of her green life. And that's it for this episode of Down to Earth. Thank you for listening, and thanks to my producer, Alex Rousseau, for this episode of Down to Earth. Don't forget you can subscribe to the series on podcast at Newstalk.com or on the Newstalk app. Next week, we'll take a walk on the wild side to explore Ireland's nature and wildlife. But until then, stay curious.